0: Welcome back to another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guterle, and I'm on the line today with Adam Bailey. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thanks, Julian. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, you uh, work with Dogwood Initiative. Dogwood BC is one of the, it's the largest, actually, the largest uh, citizen action group in British Columbia. And we just recently remet met at an event, um, and I was like, oh, man, I want to interview you and I want to hear more about Dogwood Initiative and kind of how British Columbia and Victoria in specifics is yeah, maybe like a a role model in people coming from purpose and passion and really wanting um, people power to be heard in in democracy.
1: Without a doubt, I think, um, you know, that our town is a really cool example of what can happen when uh, people make a choice to live in a place where they can really let their passion grow. And that's one of the things that has been so exciting for me about, about, uh, about this line of work, about this city, about growing up here and coming back to it as an adult. Um, it's really a very cool place to be. So thanks for having me on today. And uh, thanks for suggesting that we talk about this topic. I think there's a lot of fruitful stuff here.
0: Totally. you're You're in charge of strategic partnership. But maybe let's back up a little bit and kind of just highlight like, how, how did you find it? Uh, you just said you like, grew up in Victoria, but then you had to like, actually go, go away for a while to really realize kind of the power and passion that's
1: being, being lived here. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's sort of a, a symptom of growing up on an island, right? Uh, it's an island that's the size of, size of Belgium, but it's also you know, a small town. And uh, you sort of have to, in order to find yourself. And that's uh, the position I found myself in when I was a kid. I graduated from university, went to Montreal, found my way to Toronto, and uh, you know, really engaged in my passion in the arts. That's sort of, you know, that's where I come from in my background um, and got into the world of fundraising. I, I worked uh, in film. I worked in, uh, in, you know, for symphonies. I did, I did the whole arts thing um, and uh, and really sort of found that it was an interesting way to bring myself to the working world every day, but not in a place where I could really make the contributions I wanted to make. Um, and it, this entirely could be sort of, you know, big fish small complex uh, small pond complex or something like that on my part but um, I really found like you know I'm I'm swimming here in this you know mega region of about six million people and my ability to make an impact that I really could be proud of in that city was was limited Um, whereas you know I came back here and all of a sudden it's like wow you know I really uh, have an appreciation for these skills that I've been able to bring together I'm able to put them to work in a community that I love uh, and I'm deeply connected to and, uh, and wow I can really sort of see the profound impact of all so uh, yeah I mean that's that's why uh I think coming back to a place like this bears so much fruit you uh you get to make the choice to come back to a community that really appreciates uh who you are and what you have to give.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I think this is this is very gratifying about living in uh in Victoria as well. It's just this immediacy of what we do and who how we connect and uh, the action we take. So t- tell us more about Dogwood. Like I the things I know is it's named after I think the, the provincial flower, is, is that right? Um, like, oh yeah, that's right. Very cool. And <laughs> and then like, w- what is it that Dogwood is like a catalyst for? Like I, I understand that it's like citizen action group, but can you kind of demystify that term and then like just help us understand?
1: Yeah, sure, let's get real about this for a second. What do we actually do? Um, and, and that's the thing. I mean, we have, you know, we live in a flourishing democracy. We're very lucky. Uh, you know, particularly in British Columbia, of all different places in Canada, that we live in a place that has a, a solid respect for democracy. Um, but it could always be better; it could always be improved. And more importantly, democracy works best when you organize. And so, for us, we're trying to be that catalyst for organized action. Dog, we started about twenty years ago, um, and it came out of the aftermath of the war in the woods. That was that um, big conflict in the Clackwood Sound area over. Uh, you know, should you stop the old growth logging that was happening in Clarkville Sound, and, and more broadly, old growth logging on cuve Island? And um, out of that, it, it turned out that there were many fissures that needed that were apparent in this province that needed to be healed. Um, you know, there were the environmentalists who, frankly, tended to be white, urban, educated like myself. Uh, there were the forestry workers who tended to be white, rural, and less educated a lot like my uncles who, you know, live in Lake Cowichan and still drive trucks for logging company up there. And uh, and then also the First Nations communities who have a long-standing claim to the land uh, and reject either the environmental or the forestry workers uh, laying any claim to uh, what should be done in that particular space. And so the idea behind Dogwood originally was, let's get these three different camps together and talk about a productive way forward so that we're not faced with what was at the time Canada's largest uh, civil unrest uh, demonstrations. And what we, just, what we ended up doing out of that was saying, let's be the catalyst for uh, coming up with a common agenda and connecting people with their democratic institutions uh, so that that kind of a conflict doesn't have to happen again. It can be resolved at a political level um, rather than sort of at a confrontational level. Now, I don't know uh, how well we have satisfied all of the original power brokers within that coalition, uh, but we certainly try to work with both working Canadians and with First Nations uh, wherever we do our work uh, and it's grown into this really interesting place where you know we have the power of a very large membership list—two hundred fifty thousand members across province—and uh, we're able to connect those folks to the institutions of power. So, what does that mean? Uh, we're coming up with neighborhood-level um, citizen groups, uh, volunteer groups—you um, know—and we're talking people who connect them with some of our key volunteers who will take them five or six or ten at a time to their local MLA's office and book a meeting and five or six or ten of them will sit down and say hey here's what we've been talking about and here's what's really interesting to us and that's valuable for the MLAs because they're getting that sort of word on the street thing it's valuable for the people all right I mean I I don't know about you but personally I've never been down to sit down with my own MLA and talk about that that sort of feels like one of those democratic things you should do that you never really do um, so it's a way that we're able to channel that people power and sort of, you know, turn it into uh, real advocacy. And then we add the power layer, layer onto over the whole thing, which is to say like, you know, great, we've had these good conversations and we're making our voices heard, uh, but we're also able to really mobilize people and in, uh, in get out the vote work for uh, uh, elections. So, again, we're a nonpartisan group. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you're just a bunch of Greens, or you're just a bunch of NDP. That's not true. We draw support from all across the spectrum, uh, and we also, we're not a partisan front in any way. But what we do do is we, you know, vote our values. And uh, a quarter million British Columbians uh, we get in touch with every time there's an election, and we tell them, hey, go out and vote your values. Uh, and that's a pretty powerful force, you know, when you, you talk about uh, power in our province. So, you know, that's the full catalyst of action, right? Um, you know, a similar alignment of goals and values, a large group of people connecting with their democratic institutions, and then the power piece about uh, really being able to turn up the vote, and mobilize people to make a difference. So that's the long form of what we do.
0: Very cool. So, how does that really like turn out in in like the day to day? Is it is it a lot of it is like tapping into people's frustration with politics, or is it that people just need, like, actually, like, to be heard and seen what what they feel and think about politics, or is it a lot more constructive than that in, in many ways?
1: Hmm. I'd, I'd like to think it's constructive. I also, I, I have a theory that all politics is frustration. You know, if no one's frustrated, then nothing changes, and then, uh, you know, and then you're not doing politics, If you know, if there's a state of new change. So you know we're constantly frustrated, and there's always something that we want to see changed or see improved. Um, and I'm sure, frankly, that people who are doing the politics, the uh, MLAs themselves, are always frustrated because they're sitting there making trade-offs and you know doing the compromise work that you don't have to when we're sitting down at the conference right. shop. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, there is a lot of that work of just venting our frustration, but I think there's also a lot of concrete uh, change and concrete policy work that we work on. I mean, as an example, we. Uh, you know, last year we were able to celebrate the passage of the ban big money legislation. That was a, a campaign that we came up with collectively um, that said, "Look, I mean, one of the you know major strategic problems in our province. Um, and actually it's, it's funny. I'll, I'll give you a side anecdote to explain this um, one. of the one of the problems with our uh, province is that there uh, there's a lot of uh, corporate and union money that plays a role in you know with the parties fundraising to get elected." Um, some of that money, for example, comes from uh, places like the uh, Calgary Petroleum Club, or sorry, the Canadian Petroleum Club in Calgary, uh, which be fundraisers for the Liberal Party. Um, and interestingly enough, um, when I went to renew my Liberal Party membership, which I do every now and again because I like to see what they're doing, uh, you know, in that party, they sent me back my membership papers postmarked from Calgary. It's it's almost like, you know, one of British Columbia's big power brokers is is being operated from another province who has interests that are not aligned with the interests that I value. Um, So, you know, it's interesting to sort of see um, how the money trail uh, guides a lot of uh, policy decisions. Guides is too strong a word, but I mean, there really does seem to be like a, a connection between the two. Um, and so for us to be able to do that work of, of uh, constructive work of getting people together and saying, hey, we've got to stop Don't, you know large money donations and return the power back to people. Um, so that's sort of more of the concrete stuff that we've been doing, like taking the frustration and really trying to get into uh, legal action.
0: Very cool, yeah, I'm asking and I'm curious about uh, the element of frustration because often this is what kind of um, imm- immobilizes a lot of people um, to get in touch with their local politics. But I think only if we're actually tapping into our authentic voices and our authentic mm-hmm. values, as as you said, um, yeah, only then we can actually co-create a reality that that really represents it as well. Right. So it's, That's I think so it's so of true. utmost in importance to actually tap into like the people and everyone and hear, <laughs> and hear, hear what's going on in people's hearts and, and heads. And so for one, I like, totally acknowledge the work of, of Dogwood BC there, um so how 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 did that turn into your passion tell us a little bit more about yourself
1: there <laughs> Yeah totally well I mean uh, you know the environment has been a passion of mine in in a you know through my life um I grew up in Victoria so you know always uh exposed to nature but uh even more so I mean uh, you know half of my family's from up island like I was saying I got uncles in Lake Howard who were uh truck drivers for the lumber company uh, you know, grand, grandpa, and all these guys worked in the and stuff like that. So there was a lot of going out into the bush, right? But that was uh, that was just sort of what you did, and uh, you know, particularly in summers, we spent a lot of summer time uh, just out there in, in the forest. Um, and I value that, you know. And uh, and I, it's easy to find your frustration when you take a look at things like raw log exports or fish farms or, or you know, oil tankers going through the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Um, that all just seemed like wrong-headed decisions at the end of the day. Um, And that's sort of you know that's where the frustration happens, and and I think you know on the market frustration that you were talking about a little bit earlier too that's that's a key thing when people get you know trying people get frustrated so easily and this summer was a great example of it too when um, you know in August we had the fires we had smoke everywhere in British Columbia for three weeks you simply could not escape the fact that climate change is happening are you know we are the province is on fire. And as much as we like to think that we live in this, you know, green, peaceful, uh, beautiful place that maybe is a refuge from everything else that's going wrong out there, we're not. You know, everyone on this planet is exposed to risk at this. Um, and it's so frustrating to feel like, you know, man, we've been screaming at the top of our lungs for a decade or more about the urgent need to, you know, take action on this and make some real change. And, uh, and one's listening. So, that frustration is so hard. And it's in those sorts of critical moments that you really have to figure out how to get people reconnected to their passion, to their heart place, uh, and recognize that it's like, hey, you know, I, I know things are frustrating and we can scream at the top of our lungs. And it just seems like nothing that we do is going to make a change. But the fact that we're doing it is the important part. We still have to find that place, like, where does my passion come from? What is the change that I'm trying to make? Why am I stronger together with other people than I am alone on my own? And and you really have to do that work to sort of reconnect people to those fundamental principles. Otherwise, yeah, you know, you can just be isolated in frustration. Yeah, and you can really let that tear you apart and make you just sort of feel like, well, there's no change I could possibly make, so it's not worth doing anything. Um, but. It's really, The hard work is really what uh, allows you to act collectively for a better future. And that's more important now than it ever has been. is going to be more important going forward than it is even today.
0: Powerful. I really like where, where you just took this. I think um, seeing the the power and the ability that lies in the collective and in collaboration despite the challenge or despite the confrontation or despite the frustration, but actually because of it tapping into and then kind of uh, opening up all the the possibility that's that's um, kind of, yeah, just yet to be discovered, right? Very cool. What, what other, like, insights um, you feel like you've learned working in, you know, like a citizen action group and working with people who um, want to donate to citizen action groups and, and, like, being kind of in the middle between politics and where people power is? Like, what, what other pieces um, do you feel are just, like, you learned because
1: of this very unique situation? Oh, for sure. I mean, the first thing that pops to mind automatically is that we have no idea what the future holds. Oh, my goodness. We have no idea what the future holds. I think mean, when I started this job last May, uh, it was before even the provincial election had taken place that got us our, our latest government. Uh, and even, and you know, so you had a certain idea of how things are going to play out over the next two years. And I thought I had all these smart ideas about how policy was going to go. And like three months later, it was just completely changed. You know, like all, all of the different possibilities that were available to us were changed. Uh, and six months after that, again, all of the possibilities that were available to us had changed. Um, and so it's interesting because you have to, you know, I mean, one, that gives me a lot of heart, um, especially in moments like this past August, where, you know, I'm choking on smoke and thinking, oh my goodness, what, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. basket. Uh, no, you don't know what the future holds. Um, But it also, it really drilled into me the need um, to have agility as an organization. And again, this is um, something that I'm only learning now in the Citizen Action Group. Um, Again, like I said, I was in the institutional arts industry in Toronto for about 10 years, uh, working for the Symphony and the Film Festival, and um, you know, not to slag them in, in any way, but I mean, we're talking about institutions that have been around for 40, 90 years and they have a way of doing things, and they have a strategic plan that was set to, you know, by the board of director before the current board of directors five years ago, and of course you're going to execute on those metrics. Um, and and it becomes more about sort of weathering changes, but sticking with the plan, rather than building a plan that is receptive to the way things have changed. Right. Here, I mean, you know, coming to Victoria, I think uh, I really or really appreciate the value of learning how to work with an agile organization that goes sure we think what the next year we think we know what the next year might look like uh but goodness you know as things change we're advantage of the opportunity and we're going to learn to use everything you know to our advantage as we move forward so that's been a huge learning curve here and very positive v- very
0: great point to be adaptive kind of with well how we we do things as companies or as organizations or as foundations, right? I think the tech industry and the like startup scene very much prides itself for having this kind of agility. Um, And obviously governments and institutions are somewhat more static, I guess, and it it could be the right word. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so how, how does that how does it relate to the work you do though with, with raising funds for, for Dogwood? Like, is it, really, um, is it really just people who have the environment at heart or is it actually a wide spectrum of people
1: who just really want more um, people power to be lived? Yeah, I think people power is the way to go with that one. It, it's a whole spectrum, honestly, right? Uh, people give for the reasons that they give and I think generally they share um, a similar value, which is that uh, we could be doing better, we must do better. Uh, If we're going to survive as a species, Um, and you can come at that from a bunch of different directions, but it's a pretty common value. Um, You know, the folks who entrust their money to us, they trust it to us, and they trust that we're going to make with that. Um, You know, we're not a registered charity, so it's not like we're giving tax receipts or any sort of benefit. I mean, this really is, uh, you know, money that folks are saying, I I like the work that you're doing and I want to see you do more of it. Um, and so it's on us to prove that we're, uh, we're doing good with that and that we're making the kind of change that they want to see in the world. Um, you know, and thankfully, they you know, continue to renew their support. And so obviously, they're making that vote of confidence there. But it's about that change. It's about trying to be the catalyst and trying to be strategic about the change that we're making in the world. Um, and you know, as a result, as a result, we have to be agile like that, right? We have to have a strategy strategy that can adapt to changing political circumstances, um, you know, so that we're not stuck a year from now continuing on the same sort of path, uh, even though you know maybe there's been another decision that's come from the federal court of appeal about the Peterborough Pipe, sorry, Trans Mountain pipeline. Um, you know, we really do have to be able to. Um, uh, move quickly to take advantage of those sorts of opportunities because, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, you know, people are trusting us to make the best decision and uh, be as strategic as possible. Um, and that's been, it's been heartwarming to see that people continue to see our work, trust us for doing the good work, recognize us, and uh, help us carry on. It's really great. So fundamentally, Dogwood is interested in making sure that we never have another oil tank or disaster like the Exxon Valdez. And we wanna make sure that, uh, that that sort of thing doesn't happen. Well, you can't have an oil tanker without a pipeline to bring oil to that tanker. So we got really involved in the pipeline politics. Uh, you know, we defeated the Northern uh, Gateway, the uh, Enbridge Northern Gateway back in 2015. Uh, we recently kicked Kinder Morgan out of Canada. Uh, you know, now the federal government owns that pipeline. Uh, But then we started to realize that, you know, if you're thinking strategically, there's uh, the pipeline politics are really tied up a lot in corporate donations. So we wanted to get rid of the corporate union donations. We were able to do that, which was really great. Um, And now proportional representation is a great opportunity for us to further improve the electoral politics that are going to make sure British Columbians' voices are heard on the environment and uh, and on the tanker issue uh, to make sure that our coast is safe. Because ultimately the vast majority of British Columbians agree that the environment needs to be protected and for the next generation, even if it comes at the cost of a little bit of economic pain so right, that's on. why we're getting involved in the yeah. prorep referendum uh, this year, and uh, it's it's really an important opportunity to get people to change the system very exciting, yeah,
0: so I have two more questions for you actually Adam so one would be if you were to you just said it a little bit earlier in this conversation, you, you, you don't know what the future holds. You don't Not know. But if you were to like predict or kind of um, hope for like what's, what's a great scenario that um, you, you would really hope for uh, Dogwood's
1: kind of immediate future? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I wish I had our strategic plan right in front of me because we actually, we start our whole strategic vision with uh, the nightmare and the dream um you know and the nightmare is uh, fairly self-explanatory but the dream honestly is that local communities um have power to make their own decisions over what happens in their backyard so you know ultimately we're not seeing uh, a pipeline being railroaded through first nations communities that don't want it we're not seeing coal trains being driven through uh, communities like surrey and delta that don't want coal Uh, You know, we're not seeing communities uh, across the Lower Mainland and on Vancouver Island that are threatened by oil spills because of tankers that are coming through there. Uh, And more importantly, we're seeing communities that are positively empowered to make changes that are going to see them through the next uh, several generations. Uh, You know, I I think, frankly, that looks a lot like what we see here in Victoria, uh, you know, where we really do have strong local governance, and that was, you know, reaffirmed a few days ago that we uh, have strong tools of local governance and people who are really, uh, looking looking out for making the best decisions that are in the best interest of Victorians. Um, but you know it also means that we're, uh, we're in dialogue both with uh, the federal government and the provincial government about uh, how to make sure that British Columbia's interests are, are being taken to heart. And of course that we're in dialogue with our local First Nations, uh, making sure that we're listening when they're saying, hey, here is, you know, here is the way that we've always looked after this land and here is what we need to do in order to make sure that it's treated properly going forward. Um, so that's it's a broad strokes of, of the dream of what I'd like to see. And I think that that's achievable. You know, the the actual steps to get there, I, I think, are subject to change as the winds change. Uh, but if we work together and we really come from a good, honest place, we can get there. We can get there faster than you think.
0: Beautiful. I like your, your optimism on that. Let's take this dream like a whole um, bracket larger. So one of the questions I actually started this podcast with is, um, if we as humanity had a shared vision for planet Earth, uh, what would yours look like? And let me kind of give you a time frame, like go a little bit wider than just like the next 10, 15, 20 years. Like what's a, a vision that if you were to like dream up planet Earth and the way we live and how, how it feels, maybe 50, 100 years into the future, maybe 200 years, like how, how what, what resonates with you
1: on that kind of scale? Oh, Wow. <laughs> Maybe I've been, um, I might have been uh, following gritty memes on Facebook a little bit too much of late, but uh, I, you know, definitely like we have smashed capitalism in the next hundred years and, uh, you know, have generally come up with a, uh, you know, a a utopia where we don't have conflict. But no, I mean, I think a a little bit more, um, like I'm more in the nuts and boltsy thing. I think like a good common dream for our whole planet is one where Every community feels secure moving into the future. And what I mean by that is, you know, no community is worried about a natural disaster forcing them to migrate. No community is worried about a political disaster, like a war, forcing them to migrate or relocate. No community is concerned about how their children are going to make a living in the world and whether the way they make that living is going to make the world a better or worse place because it should always be making a better place uh, I think if we have that basic level of community security available to every community across the globe that's the kind of thing we really need to be looking towards um, and that's the kind of collective action problem that we can solve with you know democratic action
0: very beautiful I like how you use the community angle that you live every day and breathe every day in your answer there as well. No, it's, it's a very, very authentic and I really appreciate hearing all these different angles of this um, this impossible question to answer because no one knows what's going to happen the next 200 years. I just really think we, um, as humans are, we're in a position where we can either dream together or dream uh, against each other. And I think it's pretty obvious what to choose. Um, and as we dream together, wow. there's there's a resonance with very similar answers because we all desire Connection, authenticity, community, right? So, fantastic to have you on the show. Thanks for this short episode, and thanks for bringing a little bit more light onto Dogwood and Dogwood Initiative. Um, is there anything else you want to share
1: with who's listening? Oh gosh, um, not to share, but I did actually want to throw a question back at you, Julian, because uh, I know we, you know we share a love of this beautiful city that we're at, and uh, you know, I mean, you uh, you're an international traveler who has opportunities all across the world. Um, and I, I very much uh, appreciate watching your, you know, your various different posts as you travel. But I'd like to know for you, why have you chosen Victoria?
0: <laughs> Thanks for asking me that question. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, Victoria is, is an interesting one. And um, the true answer is that there is an intuition that, that just really uh, was really loud and clear in my being that, that said that this is a space where um, there is a lot of impact to make and a lot to learn, actually. And um, I guess a lot to learn has to do with actually exactly the work that, that you do and um, a lot of people here live, is, is to learn how to reconcile and how to integrate communities from different backgrounds, from different levels of trauma, from different levels of um, power, from different levels of um, just how we, how we live and how it is logical to us or, or how it feels good to us to live. Um, kind of how you answered this 200 year question initially, you're like, well, I hope within the next 100 years, we, we'll be able to scrape capitalism. Um, and yeah, I personally also hope they will find a better evolution of what we're living in 2018. But so the, the honest answer is intuition. And I think also as a destination, the Pacific Northwest is increasingly more and more interesting. I mean, you mentioned the GTA, Toronto being like a 6 million people agglomeration. If you draw a, a wider circle around Victoria, it's pretty much the same actually with Vancouver, with Seattle. Um, and there's a lot of um, really interesting Um, yeah, thought culture, I would call it, like a a zeitgeist really being lived and um, increasingly more and more opportunities in technology, increasingly more and more opportunities in in, in gaming and gamifying things like uh, in Seattle, Airbus, uh, EA games, like all these big companies, uh, they they operate from this part of the world for a reason. But then also, I think for me, really another piece to learn and not just to appreciate and, and enjoy, but actually to learn from is this pristine nature that we have on the, uh, on the island and on Vancouver Island and this Mm -hmm. responsibility that comes with it to understand it's, you know, we can't take it for granted. It's, it's, we're part of that nature and only as such can we actually really unfold the true potential of the human soul, I believe. So um, yeah, that's my, (laughs) my somewhat uh, more more intuitive answer here, but yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you well thanks for asking very much appreciate Uh,
1: that
0: thank you for thank you for being up for this short interview and um, yeah it was a pleasure to
1: have you on the show yeah thanks so much for having me
0: i hope you too enjoyed this episode Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And join me and others in the conversation on Facebook, Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Wherever you are, have yourself a summer day.